Okay, so we're going to get started with the third session. So in this session, we're going to be talking about bulbs, corms, and tubers. And you might think, well, those are kind of similar and interchangeable terms, but there's very different flowers that come from each one. So here's a quote from Aaron Benzacane that I thought explained it well. Bulbs, corms, and tubers are bold, showy plants with saturated colors appearing like exclamation points among other plants in the garden. And there really is something so special about the flowers that come from these forms that is unlike your annuals or even hardy annuals. And we're going to be talking about dahlias. And I found <clears throat> in Mrs. White's writing where she talks about dahlias. And this is the first little, it's an excerpt from a letter. Henry and Edson do not neglect to water the flowers, the dahlias especially. So this was in a letter to her sons, and I thought that was a sweet little footnote. Don't forget to water the dahlias. And then this is from her time in Australia, talking about what was in bloom. Dahlias, the richest beauties, are in full bloom. I never saw them blossom as they do here. So she talks about dahlias in several places, and it, it's, it's, it's clear that dahlias had a special place in her heart because she mentions them by name, which is it's kind of neat to think about the flowers that we grow as being ones that she grew also. So the ones that we're going to cover in today are daffodils and narcissus, those come from bulbs, and then we're going to talk about anemones and ranunculus, those are corms, and then we're going to wrap up with dahlias, which are tubers. And we're going to be talking about specific varieties and covering the process of ordering these, how you purchase them, and growing instructions. So daffodils and narcissus, the those are kind of interchangeable. Um, there's a debate as to which are which, but you want to order those in the summertime. And to get the varieties that you really want to get, it, kind of the rule of thumb is to order your bulbs when they're flowering. So just to make sure that you get the ones that you want. So at the end of your season, make sure you go on and order the ones that you want for the next season. So, and they are a very early bloomer. And so you want to think about what your market is. Do you have a way to, if you're trying to sell these flowers, do you have a way to move them when they're going to be blooming, which is very early in the spring? So depending upon where you live, like for me, they bloom, they start blooming in late February. And uh, depending upon the variety, I'll have them February, March, April, but they're very early. So you're going to want to plant them in the fall, and space of a bulb width between them. They're, they're a larger bulb, so you want to give them more space. And then the depth of the bulb height times two. So that's kind of just a, a rule of thumb. And for harvesting daffodils or narcissus, you want to harvest them when they're in the goose next stage. So the stage when they are kind of, uh, their heads are flopped over, but just beginning to crack. The, the buds are just beginning to crack. And you are you can actually hold daffodils in the cooler if you harvest them at that stage. You can hold them in the cooler dry. You can wrap them in newspaper and you can hold them for several weeks. I actually I actually grew for my wedding because I had an April wedding. I grew tulips and daffodils, narcissus, and I held them in the cooler 
until my wedding and brought them out and they popped open and those are the flowers we had for my wedding. So favorite... Yeah, so I just wrapped them in, in newspaper. Daffodils and narcissus do really well. Tulips, they um, don't prefer, they aren't as good of a quality. They don't last as long when you pull them out of being in the cooler for a couple weeks, but you can totally do it. Um, daffodils do quite well. So if you have like an event, and they come on too early, you can do that. Otherwise, you can just pick them in that gooseneck stage and sell them fresh. Um, they are, okay, so favorite varieties, Sir Winston Churchill, tried it with, with daffodils and narcissus. You wanna try to get some unique varieties that aren't just your common cup varieties that most people are like, oh, I just have those in my yard. Try to find some unique varieties. There's lots of doubles and really beautiful, unique colors. So some of my favorites, Sir, Win Sir Winston Churchill, Bridal Crown, those are both doubles and just any unique colors. And Narcissus have the most amazing scent. So just having one in a bouquet is like heaven. We actually, in the CSA boxes, the early vegetable boxes that go out, oftentimes we'll put like a narcissus in there just because they smell so nice and they're so beautiful. So you want to cut the foliage back when the leaves have yellowed. So after they've bloomed and the leaves have yellowed, um, which is later in the summer, you want to wait till the leaves yellow because you want to make sure that they have enough energy going back into the bulb that then they will produce a, a good crop next year for you. So once the leaves have yellowed, you cut them back. And they add amazing scent to the bouquet. So that's this, the daffodils and narcissus are the only bulb that we are going to cover today. But a lot of the others are the same sort of spacing, planting, the care, it's all very similar. But some other ones, oh, I do need to mention for daffodils and narcissus. You might have noticed if you've grown them before that they ooze a really slimy substance when you cut them. And that slime is toxic to other flowers. So if you put those in an arrangement with other flowers, it'll dramatically decrease your vase life on the other flowers. So what you have to do is when you cut them, you have to condition them, which is simply just setting them in their own vase, in their own bucket of water for two to three hours, and that will cause the stems to close up and they won't ooze anymore. And then you can add them to other flowers and the other flowers not be affected. The question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so ask me how many you could put in a container of water. Yeah, you can just pack them in there. Yeah, I mean, you're, if you harvest them in the gooseneck stage, you know, you can fit a lot in, in that space. And just let them condition, and then you can add them to other, flower, other, yeah, other flowers and bouquets. If you do sell them with other flowers, just make sure that your customer knows not to cut that stem. Because if they cut that stem, then they're dealing with the same thing all over again. So what I usually do if I put them in a bouquet, I will make sure the daffodil stem is up higher. So if they do cut it, they're not cutting that stem. So I put it at least a, you know, an inch higher. Some other bulbs that I'll just mention, Dutch iris, they are very inexpensive. 
And they, really, they add a really nice look to your spring bouquets. They bloom a little later. For me, Dutch irises are more like end of May, June, which is a really nice time to have that blue color. And like in the picture, there's blues, there's whites, there's yellows. Irises, um, it, some flowers come and go, and you like your typical big bearded iris is not necessarily the most popular flower. Some people say it's coming back in, but the Dutch irises are they're a little bit they're smaller, more petite, um, and people really like them. And they have a good vase life, and so I like to add those into my, my bouquets in the spring. Tulips, like we kind of mentioned, deer love tulips. And I had like 600 tulips planted, and I went on a trip, and I thought I had them covered well enough, but the deer came through and mowed them all down. So I lost that whole crop of tulips. Tulips are unlike some of the other bulbs, which you can save and have them come year after year. Tulips are a little bit more tricky for that. You can't always count on the same amount of blooms or the same quality of blooms. So most people, if they're doing tulips for profit for sale, they replant those every year. Unlike like narcissas, daffodils, they <coughs> multiply and each year you're gonna have more. And a note for those, you, you want to dig them up every three to five years and take, cause they, they, they multiply and so then you'll have this huge bunch and then you'll want to break those apart and start over again and plant them out. Um, but tulips are more of like a one-time thing. Lilies are another another bulb crop that a lot of a lot of farmers flower farmers grow. I've never really done lilies and it's one of those things I don't like lilies and so I don't grow lilies. And that's not necessarily the reason not to grow them, but I just never have taken the time to do so. So then the other two, Fritillaria and Hyacinth. Hyacinth are really a really nice one that you can sell in a pot or something for Mother's Day. And they're really great because you can force them to bloom when you want them to bloom. So if they're starting to bud up, you can put them in a cool, dark place and it'll put them into dormancy for a while, then you can pull them out in time for Mother's Day. So that one's, that one's kind of a fun one. It's not for cut flowers per se, but you can, it's a really good flower to sell, and especially if you put them in pots. And as far as ordering bulbs, the place that I order my bulbs from is Gluckner's, and the website is there, fredgluckner.com. That's for you know bigger orders for more bulk if you're doing it for sale. And how it works is you will contact them, you create an account, and they will give you a representative that's for your region. And so at first it can be a little intimidating, you get on their site and it's like only for professional growers and you can't really see varieties, you can't really access it. But once you create an account, once you get in contact with somebody that's appointed to you to help you, it's quite an easy process. I just email back and forth with my representative and make sure that um, you know they know what I want and and I can change the order. Um, bulbs always ship in the fall, but you want to order them in the summertime. So you can place your order, but you can always make changes, add to it, and things like that throughout the summer before it's shipped. 
So if you just go on to that website, fredgleckner.com, you can request a catalog, see the varieties they have, and that's for buying more in bulk. And also the Van Engelen, I don't know how you say it, but that's another place that you can get bulbs for a good price. And then for smaller orders, if you're looking at more for just you know your home and for beauty arounds, I would say more like 50, 25, those kind of quantities and less, you can get from johnsheepers.com and they have probably the best prices for smaller quantities that I've seen. They're very reasonable prices. And the best, the best places to buy from, the places that you get the best prices, they're the places that send out your black and white catalogs, no pictures. So you, you, uh, you pay for the pretty catalogs. But if you know the varieties that you're wanting to do, you can just Google. Um, if, you, if you don't know what a certain variety looks like, you can just Google it, see it, and then you can order them from these places that get a better price. So request catalogs and order ideally before August for your best selections. So the next one we're going to talk about is ranunculas. And these are a gorgeous rose-like flower that is very popular with, with florists and is come more to the general public, I would say, via Instagram. And people see these flowers and want them. And so they're an early spring. So again, think about your market and when you'll be able to move these flowers because they're going to come on earlier than most farmers markets are having markets. So you just have to think about that. But they approximately bloom 90 days after planting. And so some planting tips. You'll want to, you'll get the corms in September and they'll come, if you've ever seen them, they're like these dried, shriveled up, octopus looking things they like have all these tendrils but they're they're dried shriveled they're very ugly looking but you take those and you soak them for three to four hours it's supposed to say <laughs> these slides I haven't even gone through and read through them all so there there will be mistakes but yeah three to four hours in room temperature water and a little trick so what I do is I put them in a glass jar and they're going to soak up and expand. So you want to make sure you have them in a container that you have room for them to expand. And so I put them in a glass jar and you'll want to leave the water running into the container that your corms are in because they need that oxygen. So if you have the water just dripping into the container that your corms are in, they'll get the needed oxygen and they'll plump up. So three to four hours later, you can either plant them straight in the ground or you can pre-sprout them, which pre-sprouting is you can get earlier blooms, so that can be an advantage or a disadvantage, but it also ensures that what you put in the field is going to grow. It's kind of like transplants. So what you do, okay, there's what it looks like after I've pre-sprouted it. So what I do is I take the corm after it's sat and soaked in the water and I bury it in a moist potting soil mix. So I take a tray, just a tray like I would put my soil blocks in, and I put a, a layer of moistened soil mix 
and then I lay all the, the soaked corms, and then I cover it with the moistened soil mix. And then you're going to want to let that sit for 10 to 14 days in a cool place. I put our mine in the root cellar, and it seemed to really like that kind of cool, wet condition. But you do want to make sure that it's not getting too wet, because there is the fear of the corms rotting. So I would say go with um, a drier place and just make sure that the soil stays moist or just make sure that you're continually checking if you have it in a root cellar or a more moist environment. And then when the roots are about half an inch long, you remove them and you plant them in, in your prepared beds at a one inch deepness and then you can plant them six to eight inches apart. I think I planted mine six inches, but just to ensure that you have, if you have extra space, just to ensure you have good airflow through the plants, I would encourage you to do an eight-inch spacing. So some more tips for ranunculas. It's you, depending upon where you live, you're going to probably want to plant these under a cover, either a hoop house, a greenhouse, or low tunnel, depending on where you are. For me in zone seven, I have this caterpillar tunnel that is, it's unheated, it's just one, one layer of plastic. It's, it's basically a giant low tunnel, if you're familiar with that, which is just a low hoop on the ground with plastic over it. And so this is what I planted them under. But they are cold sensitive, so when we had extended periods of you know, freezing temperatures in the teens, I then covered them also with row cover. And I don't have a lot of experience growing them in my area, so I'm not sure like how hardy they are if I, if I did more than necessary, but I just wanted to ensure that they were warm enough. So I did a couple layers of row cover when it got really cold. And you'll want to make sure not to overwater them because they do, they do need really good drainage and they are susceptible to rotting, especially in moist conditions over the winter. And then come spring, you want to watch for powdery mildew. I had some of a, a part of a bed that it was a different variety and it was more susceptible to powdery mildew and that kind of took out some of my other plants because I, wasn't, I didn't treat it or do anything early on. So just watch for that. And then harvesting for best vase life, you want to harvest when the buds are colored, but they're not fully open. They're in a squishy, like a marshmallow state, and that's when you want to cut them. My favorite varieties, if you get the Gleckner catalog, you'll see them all listed. But there's three main varieties. The two that I would suggest is Labelle and Amandine, and those you can get in individual colors or you can get a mix. So I'd say for starting out, just get a mix. See what colors people like, what colors you can sell and have a market for. But especially get the pastel mix, and then you can get another mix too. But the pastel mix has all the light colors that especially florists are interested in. And then for market, I this is before my farmer's market season, but I still sold through our CSA, and so I would sell straight bunches of the ranunculas. 
And again, just make sure you order before August for the best selection. And Gleckner is where I have ordered mine from. If you're familiar with ranunculas, you've probably heard about Italian ranunculas. They're a bigger, a bigger, more fancy one, and it's debatable as to whether the cost that you spend to, because they are more expensive to get that kind, it's debatable whether it's worth it for what you get. The, the blooms, are they really that much better? But some people feel like they are and some people think that they aren't. But if you are interested in doing the Italian ranunculus, um, ownings.com, I think that they're really the only supplier of the Italian ranunculus. And again, it, you have to create an account, get a representative, order a catalog, and go through those channels. Quorum size, when you look at a catalog, you'll see that there's different sizes that you can get. And try to, it, you know, if you, if you have a smaller budget, you can just go with the smaller ones and you're gonna get the same beautiful flowers. But if you can pay a little bit extra for the quorums, it's only a few cents more, you can get a larger one and you'll get significantly more flowers. So typically the, the standard is get as, the bigger the better, if you're able to. <clears throat> so the next one, anemones and these come in all different kinds but the ones that I grew were the white ones with the black or the dark blue center and they bloom quite early I mean late winter but for me it feels like midwinter um, they for me they started blooming like mid-January but I had blooms through Mother's Day so they go a long long time and they are probably the most productive one. They just keep on shooting up stems, and you can get 20 to 30 stems per corm. So it's a very productive one. And if you're wanting to get later blooms, I would experiment planting at a later time because, again, it's approximately 90 days after planting. They say that you want to plant, get them planted before you know, your hard frost in the fall, but I think I planted in November and I actually didn't do them this year, but I was gonna plant them in December just to push it off a little bit longer and get later blooms. You can also plant them in the spring, like this time of year, February, March, but just as with the hardy annuals, they're not quite as prolific, the spring blooms, but that's also an option. And same sort of thing as the ranunculas, you can soak them for the three to four hours with the running water, and pre-sprout them. That's the best way to guarantee that they've, they've germinated and are sprouting well. And plants the same, the same sort of, you know, when the roots are half an inch long. My picture, as you saw, it was, they were a lot longer. So it's not like it's, you have to plant them at this stage. So it's, it's a little bit of flexibility there. And space them six to eight inches apart. So the care of anemones is parallel with ranunculus. They're very, very similar. Even though the flowers look very different, the care of them is, is quite simpler, similar. And I found them to be simpler than I expected. You see these, these flowers and they just look so amazing and kind of complicated, but they're really not that difficult. If you have the right situation, if you have cover, if you have a, a greenhouse or a low tunnel or something you can put them under, they are very, 
very doable and easy to grow. They don't take a lot of maintenance. You just plant them, and they grow, and they bloom in the spring. <laughs> Is there a reason I didn't plant them? Uh, well, so with my husband, uh, with our job of traveling, we do a lot of traveling, and we're gone internationally almost every month, and I just wasn't able to keep up with, with doing them this year. So I bought them all, and then I actually sold them, all the corns, before, I, before it was time to plant. So that was kind of sad, but um, I'm going to do them again when I have a little freer of a winter. So again, plants in a hoop house or a low tunnel. I, I think that anemones are a little bit more hardy than, than ranunculas. I mean, I had them, I, I had thought I got all my corms out because I had used the bed for planting dahlias in, but I had them sprouting and blooming a few weeks ago and it was freezing cold temperatures and they were blooming. So they seem to be a little bit more hardy. So, the best vase life, you want, to op you want to harvest them when they first open. They're a flower that closes every night, so try to get them in the first day that they're open. And they actually grow in the vase, so they're very interesting to watch. They'll just continue growing and growing until the petals fall off. But they have a, they have a good vase life. Um, some people say 10 plus days. And I think if you harvest them at the right time, you can totally get that. Favorite varieties, Jerusalem and Galilee are the varieties I would recommend. And Galilee has a pastel mix that's really beautiful. That are, they're colors that are very desirable. And when to order, again, you want to order before August for best selection. And I order from Glockner. And corm size, same as ranunculus you're talking about. Bigger is better, five to seven centimeters is the largest you can get, and that's, that's what I usually order. So dahlias, this, this is in the tuber family, and these are, we're switching from spring stuff to more late summer, fall is when dahlias really thrive. So they're bloom time, midsummer to frost, and you order the tubers in the fall or the winter, and they arrive usually mid-April, depending upon where you are. They, they're cold-sensitive, the tubers don't like to freeze, and so you want to, they won't ship them until the concern of frost is passed, so it's a little bit later. So if you're not ready to plant them when your tubers arrive, you just want to store them in a cool, dry place in the box that they come in. Usually the tubers come in uh, peat moss or some sort of medium, soil medium, that you can just keep them in and until you're ready to plant. So planting tips, you want to choose a location with good drainage. Dahlias are very sensitive to wet feet, like they really don't like having um, their root system sitting in, in soggy soil. So just make sure that they're in a place that has good drainage and wait until the last frost to safely plant outside. Now you can, if you're wanting to get earlier blooms, you can push it a bit by using row covers and planting them under cover in a hoop, but typically most people wait until April or May when their last frost is to actually plant them out. And they do need more space, so you want to, you want to plant them at least 18 inches apart and four to six inches deep. And when you get a tuber, if you haven't seen the Dahlia tubers before, they're kind of long. Actually, I have some here for sale. Um, afterwards, 
some that I dug up, but I'll show you it if you haven't seen them. So this is this is like one. This is on the larger side. So they're kind of they're kind of weird looking, but the eyes will pop out around here. And every tuber has to have an eye to grow. So when you get your when you get your tuber, you're gonna plant it horizontally. And when you when you plant it, you'll see the eyes popping out along the stem. And so you just want to make sure the eyes are then pointed up towards the sun and not down. So you're gonna plant them along in your bed like this. So dahlias are definitely a more labor-intensive crop if you haven't grown them before. Uh, especially in the south, a lot of people have given up growing them down there, but they're a very popular flower with florists, and because of Instagram and social media, they've also become a very popular flower for the consumer. And so I sold every last stem I grew, and for crazy prices in my opinion, <laughs> like the flowers in this picture here, I would sell the big ones for $5 a piece, and they just go. So even though it's, it's really labor-intensive, if, if you are doing them for sale, it's definitely worth putting them in. And the really fun thing is that they multiply quite quickly, so you can start with a few, and each year you'll, they'll produce more. <coughs> so some plant care tips. When you plant your tubers in the ground, you're not going to want to water them. Now this is if you're planting them in a bed that's prepared, usually when you plant it's a little moist, you know, it's had some water, but you're not going to want to water them again until the leaves have sprouted, until they're poking out of the ground, which is like two weeks later. So it's kind of hard, it's kind of, it's not what you would want to do, you want to just go out there and water them because you think you're doing the best thing for them, but you could actually be rotting your tubers in the ground before they actually come up. So you want to wait to water them until the leaves have sprouted. And they are a big bulky plant, but they have, they're susceptible to falling, falling over. So you really have to trellis them. And you can either use the Hortanova netting, which we've talked about before. You can get in Johnny's, it's the mesh. And if you use that, you're gonna to wanna to get the biggest, the biggest whole space, I think it's eight inches, you're going to want to get the biggest mesh as possible. But you can also use stakes and baling twine, uh, like we talked about with the uh, annuals in the first session, just using T-posts or stakes at the corners and just stringing twine around and that can hold them usually upright good enough. And again, this is a plant that benefits from pinching. So when the plants are about 12 inches tall, you can just go through and snip off the top three to four inches of the growing tip, the growing center, and that will encourage branching. And I would encourage you to try some of both. You know, do some that you pinch, some that you don't, and just see, see how it works for you. So pests and diseases, I've never seen so many pests as when I planted dahlias. It was like everything I'd ever read about came to the dahlias. And part of it, I think, is where we live in the south. You know, it's a hot, humid environment. I also planted them undercover. It's kind of a gamble because dahlias don't like a lot of water. They like a more consistent amount. So I was thinking, okay, I'm gonna plant them undercover. I'm gonna be able to control the water better. And 
I was able to do that better, but it also created an environment that was more prone to diseases and pests because it was warmer. It's, they just liked it better in there. So I had a lot of different things, and there were times where I thought I was not going to get a single bloom off of them. But I would just go out there, and I'd just do my best and just conquer each little bug, and slowly the plants grew, and they bloomed abundantly. So don't get discouraged if you have a lot of bugs. Treatment, um, for some of the beetles and bugs, like cucumber bugs and Japanese beetles, I actually use these organza bags that you see in the picture. I just got them off of Amazon. They were nine inches by 12 inches, and it's a bit labor intensive, but a lot of growers use them because you can't sell these flowers if they have you know, holes eaten out of them. And so it's kind of the terrible default way of doing it because it, it does take a while. But you have these little bags, you stick them over the bud before it's open, before it's colored. You just cinch it tight, you don't have to tie it, you just pull the strings tight, and that will keep the big bugs off of them. So it's, it is a bit more labor intensive, but it does ensure you a better quality flower. And there, there are definitely things that you can do to improve and make it so that you don't have as many issues with bugs. You know, really trying to make sure your soil is good and balanced and having a healthy plant will keep away some of those bugs. But sometimes it's inevitable that you're going to have them. And depending upon where you live, too, you know, in the south, it's a lot worse for us. Up in the northern part, you know, like Washington, they grow gorgeous dahlias, have no trouble whatsoever. So it just really depends upon where you are. As far as bug treatment, insecticidal soap, you can just get it. It's organic. You can get it at Lowe's or any garden center. And that is fairly effective. I used quite a bit of that. You can just go along and spray. You know, ideally, you treat, you treat everything before you know you're proactive and have a healthy plant so you don't have to use any uh, of these sprays even if they are, are organic but sometimes you kind of just do what you have to do especially when you're dealing with flowers where it's all about aesthetics you know if you have a few holes in your cabbage whatever people kind of expect it because it's organic or whatever but people are a little bit less tolerant if their flowers have holes in them because they're getting them solely for the beauty, they're not getting it for the nutrition or whatever else they're going to get from it. So you do want to be proactive with the bugs. So insecticidal soap, also anything with spinosad as the active ingredient, that worked really well for me. I had real thrips infestation, which can be really difficult, and spinosad worked quite well with that, which I was very pleased about. And on the farm we use a product that's called Entrust. It's definitely more expensive, but if you you can find different ones at Lowe's or Garden Center, just just look for the active ingredient being spinosad. And I would just say with dahlias, you just have to be very vigilant. You know, go out there, be very carefully inspect the plants, look in the buds really carefully, look for anything, so that you can catch it before it gets out of hand. There. You know, other plants you might not have to check quite so often, but dahlias you do have to, especially in the south. So digging and dividing. This is a really fun thing about tubers. You could plant one, and here I am with a clump of 
20 that's produced from that one. And all of those, almost all of those will be viable and then be another plant for next year. So you'll want to dig your tubers after your first frost or two and you can first cut back your foliage but then wait a couple days before digging and this gives time for the eyes to actually pop out so you can see them and it's easier to then divide if you're going to divide in the fall. So you can use a spading fork to gently lift the tubers up but you have to just be very careful not to break any because if you the, the only way that a tuber is going to grow is from the eyes, and the eyes are on the stem of the plant. So if your tuber breaks off, then it's useless because it doesn't have any eyes on it. So you just have to be careful when digging that you keep it all intact. And then you can wash your dahlias, the tubers carefully, and then dividing, you can either divide them in the fall or you can divide them in the spring. And there's pros and cons to both. The eyes are easier to see in the spring, but the dahlias are easier to cut in the fall. So whichever way you do it, I chose, I'll actually did it both ways this year, we'll see what works, but you just have to make sure there's an eye with every tuber. And I would encourage you to watch a YouTube video on how to divide dahlias. There's lots out there and it's very helpful to know um, exactly how to do it, to watch some videos and then storing them through the fall, the winter. You'll want to, it's similar to the corms and the ranunculus and anemones, you just, you can put them in moistened peat moss or sawdust and overwinter them in a cool, dry location, 40 to 50 degrees. They, they're prone to rotting, so you just want to make sure the soil isn't too moist and just continually check them, you know, Every week or two, just go check and make sure that they're not rotting. And then types of dahlias and varieties. I encourage you to grow some of each. There's all different kinds, and each have their pros and cons. There's dinner plate dahlias, which are the really big ones. You have decorative dahlias, which are kind of an in-between. And then you have the ball dahlias. And they they're all great and all have... Their pros and cons, the ball dahlias, are, they're easier to grow. They are, I found them to be a lot less prone to disease and to bugs, which is, was a huge plus for me. They have a much longer vase life and they're easier to put in bouquets. Like some of the dinner plates are so huge, you can't really, I mean, unless you're doing like a bridal bouquet, they're a bit unusable because they're so huge. But like I say, they were a huge attention grabber at markets, which is where, primarily where I was marketing my flowers at farmers markets. People just loved them. They loved how big and beautiful they were. And the big ones, they don't have near as long a vase life. And I mean, honestly, without any preservative, you know, you're looking at like four or five days, which to me is not very long for a flower. And I would just tell people, you know, you know, they're paying $5 for a flower. And I, I would tell them, you know, that like the vase life is only four to five days. And it just didn't seem to phase anybody. Um, so depending upon the size, the really huge ones I sold for $5 a piece. And then some of the more medium-sized dinner plates, I would bunch three together and sell that for $10. So that was my pricing. You want to harvest them when 
they're open. They don't really open much after you harvest them. So you want them to be open, but you want to make sure that you can kind of look at the back of the flower, but harvest them before any of the petals start to get papery. Because once they start to get papery, then you realize that you don't have much, much longer. So favorite varieties, um, Cafe au lait is the most popular dahlia. It's a dinner plate dahlia. Joey Winnie, Marne, and Cornell are three ball dahlias that are super, they're, they're easier, a lot more productive. They're really, really good varieties. The Joey Winnie's actually, it's that flower. Um, and then the Marne is the orange one there. Cornell is the burgundy one in the picture. So there's so many varieties out there. Um, but those are just a couple to get you going. And then Nicholas is a variety that actually um, Michelle Lesher grew this year and had really good success. So that's one that I want to, I want to grow. And it's, it's more of an in-between. It's a decorative. So it's a little bigger and more, and more flowy than a ball dahlia, but not as big as the dinner plate. And when you're looking for varieties, you really want ones that have lots of stem count, but also good tuber production. And that's something that you don't, you don't always know until you've tried, until you've grown them to know, okay, this one produces really well, lots of tubers, and this one didn't. Because the more tubers, the more you're going to be able to grow next year. Um, two varieties that are, again, really popular are peaches and cream and Sweet Natalie. Those are two like blushy varieties. And if you're looking for ones that florists would want, those are two of them. They're a little harder to come by, but as you're looking for dahlias, those are two to keep in mind. So again, know your market. Dahlias are a very popular flower, but you'll be growing different ones for, for farmer's market as you would be for florists. So just Think about who you're going to try to market to. If you're going to try to tap into the floral wedding industry, then you're going to be growing a lot of, uh, a lot of, well, what's really in right now is blush, white, coral, and maroon. And that's like what everyone wants. And I would have people coming to me like, can I have, you know, 45 maroon dahlias for Saturday? And I'm like, I don't have that many maroon dahlias, but next year I'll grow more, you know, so you kind of learn as you grow in each season, kind of know, you know, what people are wanting, but those are the colors that are in really right now, and dahlias are, I think one of the reasons they're so popular is they're not a flower that florists, florists can get, but they do not transport well at all, and so by the time florists get them, they're not good quality. So that's why they have become super popular and the local flower movement can capitalize on it because it's a flower they can give that people can't get elsewhere. Yes, the question. Are the florists willing to pay that dollar, one for five dollars? No. Yeah. But I would say for the big dinner plates, even with florists, you can get up to three dollars a stem. Um, you know, it depends on the florist, but they're super popular, and when they can't get it elsewhere, they're willing to pay. Yeah, so especially the big dinner plates. The other ones, I mean, you, you're getting at least a dollar per stem for every dahlia. And if you're not, then I would consider selling elsewhere. So, ordering dahlias. These are a, a few places.
places, there's lots of places you can order dahlias from, but they might not have the varieties you want. There's so many varieties that oftentimes you have to order from several different places to get all the ones that you might want. But Summer Dreams Farm, he's a, the guy who runs that, Michael, he has a farm in Michigan and he focuses solely on dahlias and organic dahlias for wholesale and then he sells the tubers. And he has a really, really nice variety. So I say it at the bottom, but you wanna get on email lists and order as soon as tubers become available because buying tubers can sometimes be an exasperating thing because they're so popular that sometimes you have to, if you're not on the computer when their store goes live, you're gonna miss it. And so especially ordering from other farms here in the US, it's becoming more preferable to order from farms in the US um, because there's less mix-up with varieties, less disease issues. The bigger, the bigger places like Kleckner, they're getting theirs from Holland. And so there can sometimes, even though they have much lower prices, there can sometimes be mixed up with colors and varieties. So people are really starting to solely buy from farmers here in the U.S., which is making them harder to come by and making the demand for tubers greater. So these are a few summer dreams. Wild Willows Farm, if you know Leshers, this is actually a farm right down the road from them. It's a, it's a Mennonite couple, and they are, they are just getting started. This is, I think, their second or third year selling tubers, but they have some really, really nice varieties, and I expect them to be a really up-and-coming farm for ordering tubers. Gleckner, they, you know, like I say, some people are getting disillusioned from buying in bulk, from, from them. So far I've had good experience. So if you're getting started and you want to buy in bigger quantities but you might not have the money to put towards paying like four or five dollars per tuber, you can buy them from Gluckner or some other place in bulk. And it is a little bit more of a gamble but they're cheaper. Is there like an average number of stems per tuber? Average number of stems per tuber, I really I don't know, it's a lot. You know, depending upon variety, I would say, like from the ball dahlias, I don't know, 20 to 40. Um, the dinner plate, it is less, but you get a lot. And the great thing is it's an investment. You know, you buy the tuber, but it's gonna multiply, so you're gonna get more next year. So it might be more money up front. Tubers are expensive, but You'll, you'll get it back very easily. So, other farms, Five Fork Farm, Sunny Meadows Flower Farm, and Swan Island Dahlias. And most people have already, most farms have already sold their first batch of tubers, but a lot of people will wait to divide in the spring and will have more available. So if you're interested in ordering tubers, you have to get on the mailing list now and then when they become available, then you'll know and you can put your order in. So you can go on the website, pick out the varieties you want and have your order ready. And then when it becomes available, you can order. It's a little stressful, but <laughs> I'm hoping to expand my collection so I can provide all my own tubers. So other plants to consider besides all the ones that we've talked about. 
the summer annuals, the hardy annuals, and then the tubers, the corms. Uh, these are some others that you can consider expanding to. Heirloom mums are becoming quite popular. And they, when you think of mums, you think of just the little mounded plant in a pot. But these are far beyond those. They're varieties that are used for cutting and, and they're specialty ones. And the place to get, with mums, you, you get cuttings. So the place to get cuttings is King's Mums. So I just put that in there. Other things, tuberose, if you're not familiar with those, they have such a he heavenly sense. And again, it's an investment up front, but they will continue producing and soon you'll have a big patch of them. So you can research about getting tuberose. Peonies are another one. They, they take a while to get going. They're a perennial and they take several years, but they're also a really popular high demand flower. So um, if you're in a place where you can plant more perennials. I'm not, I'm not on land that we're going to have long term, so I haven't invested in some of these things, but peonies would be a good one. Also garden roses, they're also quite popular and another perennial that you could put in. Hellebore is another popular one. This is actually, we had a question about shade-loving flowers, and that's actually a shade-loving flower. It loves to be planted beneath trees and is also a popular one with florists. It, it blooms early, so you just have to do your research to know, you know when things are blooming, when you can market them, and if you'll have people that will buy them at the times when they are blooming. Trees, fruit trees, pussy willows. Willows are quite popular, the branches. Um, and then different shrubs and vines just to open your horizons to other things that can be grown. So those are some resources where you can get different things that we talked about in this course. Um, Bear Mountain Farm, the third one down, they have a YouTube channel. Their videos are quite terrible, <laughs> honestly, but they have really good information and they go through their process of how they do anemones, how they do ranunculas, they go through pre-sprouting, all of that. And sometimes it's helpful to, helpful to see a video. They go through dahlias and some of the things that they grow. They're a farm in Washington. And then Florette Flowers is another resource. Um, for the caterpillar tunnel and row covers, you can, you can get those from Farmer's Friend. And the row covers I know you can get from Johnny's or other places too, but the caterpillar tunnel that I use, that is something you can make yourself, you can source the parts, but the ones that my brother sells are the only ones that like come in a kit it's where you can get everything you need to assemble them. So if you're interested in that. Um, ASCFG, I talked about that, it's the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, and it's a group of of growers that come together and share knowledge. They have conferences every year. And I did want to point out, like their conferences, if you go to one of the national ones, um, if you go through everything, you're looking at like over $800 to go to the conferences. So they're very expensive, but through um, the, if you join and you have a membership, which is $199 a year, if you have the <laughs> membership, you get video recordings of all of the presentations that are at all of their conferences for the last, 
I don't know how many years it goes back, but just a ton of information. So that's, I've learned so much from that. And so, you know, $200 a year might seem like a lot, but it's way less than going to the conferences, and I get all that material. So they have a lot of resources on, like, pricing for cut flowers, you know, what you should charge, and just a whole lot of information. They have a, they have a Facebook group just for members, and it's where you're going to find serious growers who have a lot of wisdom and knowledge that they can share. And the Flower Farmer group on Facebook, it's also a, a place to get a lot of information. The Flower Farmer book by Lynn Bozinski and the Cut Flower Garden, those are two that I would highly recommend, and those will be available at the Ad Agra booth, which will be open tonight. But we just have a few copies of those, so they will be slim. And I will have some tubers available for sale after the classes today. So if you're interested in any, I only have the Cafe Olay variety, which is, uh, let me, it was actually, let me go back to, oh, maybe I didn't have it in there. It's, it's the big, like, creamy, it's, it's creamy white with some yellow lavender, not really yellow, but more blushy lavender. It's the most popular dahlia right now. So I have a few tubers of those available, as well as the coral variety that are in the picture there. So those will be available at the end of the presentations this afternoon. So this afternoon, the presentations, well, the next one is going to be all about marketing and how to market your blooms, where to market them, and tips for that. Um, my husband made up this slide. If you, if you all want the presentations, you can bring a flash drive. You can also um, go to that link and get the presentations. So the next presentation after lunch is going to be Harvest to Market on how to, how to all the tips for harvesting, arranging, marketing your blooms. And then the next class after that is going to actually be on photographing your blooms. All the pictures that I've used in my presentations are all pictures that I've taken of my flowers. And it really helps to, uh, you know, because, because flowers are solely for aesthetics, you really have to make them look really pretty to make them sell. So we're going to go into all the aspects of photographing your flowers, and then the last presentation of the day is going to be by Carol Sakura, and she's going to be showing us how to arrange flowers specifically for events. So I'm looking forward to that. We'll see what she has in store, and she's going to have a lot of flowers to show us out. So that's what we're looking at for this afternoon, and it's about time to close, but if there's any other questions, I can answer them now. Well, thank you all for coming, and we will see you this afternoon. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.